I will read the place of scripture that is written in Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Called to perfection. This promised commandment, written in the evangelist Matthew, the book of Matthew, is presented in a series of sermons from Pastor Arcadi, and it is the inheritance of saints of all time and generations, and is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those people who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. With regard to the fulfillment of this commandment, we will look at one of the purposes of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person that gives God the basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace through righteousness of faith, how he had given to Abraham and his seed. Romans chapter 4 verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So we find peace with God, we become heirs of peace, not through the law, the law of works, but through righteousness by faith. The law of works looks at only the works. Righteousness of faith looks at the proclamation, the declaration, which stands head of works or acts. Righteousness tells us, proclaim, and then you will do. The question, how do I proclaim? Proclaim, that's a good question. First, you ask for God to send a person upon along your way, a man of God, who's going to tell you the word. And this word, with this word, you will renew your thinking with the spirit of your mind. And now, when you have done this, you can practice certain holy works. But without proclamations, we cannot practice any kind of righteous or holy work. That's why to be heirs of peace is possible, not through the works of the law, but through righteousness of faith. And righteousness of faith is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, presented in the gospel word of the messengers of God, at the head of a person, uh, the head of a person representing for us the fatherhood of God, and the sign by which we should uh, judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. Colossians chapter three, verse fourteen and fifteen. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. According to these words, the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under the condition if the selective love of God will abide in our hearts and we will be clothed in the selective love of God. The character of the selective love of God presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. So love is found in seven, or the bond of seven virtues, the bond of perfection. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, uh, brotherly kindness, and love. Love is the crown. And all of this is written in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8.
It's the ladder of Peter. And each of the seven virtues are dissolved in one another and contain the characteristics of all other virtues because of which they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and verify the authenticity of one another. Also, these virtues and seven characteristics are called to be the moral perfections in our heart and the standards that are focusing on the essence of God. So all of these qualities are the standards of God and will also be our standards because this is what it means to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Here we see the selective love of God that is presented in His godly standards, standards of perfection and justice. Now a question, how do we have all of these qualities? Fourth, these virtues presented in seven characteristics are the incorruptible riches and the unsearchable riches of Christ which we are called to become enriched with. And to enter into this inheritance or to these virtues in the light of seven unearthly characteristics, we can do so only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. The means that we are called to enact, to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And through the inheritance of these great and precious promises in the fruit of our spirit, we are made partakers of God's essence, because of which the proclamation of the faith of our heart becomes equal to the words that come from the mouth of God. The selective love of God expressed in seven unearthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common and cannot have anything in common with the nature of tolerant human love filled with ignorance, blemish, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the selective love of God in seven virtues differs in that it is given the all-consuming zeal of God. His um, omnipresence, His absolute wisdom, which is impossible to use for our blemished ambitions or purposes. This is what tolerant love or holy love is. Tolerant love can be used for selfish purposes, whereas selective love of God is impossible. This is how the selected love of God is defined. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. It is impossible to purchase this. This level of the power of God's love is acknowledged by the level of God's hatred toward evil and carriers who practice evil. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Only by loving that which God loves and despising that which God hates can we demonstrate the perfection of God. 
only by loving that which God loves and despising that which God despises can we demonstrate the perfection of God and His reaction on righteous people who practice good and unrighteous people who practice evil and lawlessness. So our reaction can show whether or not we have the true love of God. For the selective love of God, according to its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural characteristics, is called to bring us to the fullness of the measure of Christ, or to the perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father, so that we can shine with the light of our Son on the just and on the unjust, and pour out our rains according to the direction of God on the just for favor and the unjust for punishment. With this, it is specifically the power of the selective love of God in the format of seven unearthly virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and replace it with the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ, of Christ in the face of our new man. This is possible only for the selective love of God. Tolerant love can never clothe us in the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because in order to clothe us into the resurrection of Christ, it is necessary to destroy the power of death. Tolerant religious love is incapable of destroying anything. It tries to build up, but it destroys only the truth by distorting it. But it is impossible to destroy the power of death. To destroy the power of death, as we have read in Songs of Solomon, this kind of love agape can do so. It is holy. It is selective. And if the love that we preach about, if it can destroy the power of death, then this love can also reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies. If the truth that we hear and the words that the messenger says, if it's impossible for those words to destroy the power of death, then we can never find ourselves in the power of the resurrection of Christ. This truth must destroy this death. In studying the first question, the virtues of the source from which God's love flows, we arrive to the conclusion that God's love is poured out and flows out of the virtue of the Heavenly Father Himself expressed in His goodness. So, again, we're talking about the selective love of God, the vessel, or the source from where it flows from. Obviously, it's the Heavenly Father. Scripture says, no one is good except for my Father in Heaven. Second, the love of God is poured out of Christ in the subject of His sacrificial sacrifice for His church. Because Christ was sent in order to become a sacrifice to carry the sacrifice for his church and in this he had demonstrated his godliness or his goodness when he had preached um, he had demonstrated the goodness of the father and all his miracles works and wonders he demonstrated the goodness of the father and that's why God had sent him and this goodness was in the obedience to the word of God and he was sent in order to become the sacrificial sacrifice also the love of God is poured on our hearts in the face of the Holy Spirit who produces the atmosphere of the love of God also the love of God is poured out in our hearts by hearing the word of God sent to us by God so through the messengers of God God has contained his goodness It is very important to act correctly toward the gospel word and the one who offers it to us. Because this is one of the secret paths 
for God to know how we are going to act toward Him in eternity. Fifth, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by studying the earth or the world that God has created. How do we act toward the earth? If I'm chewing gum, do I throw it outside or do I throw it in the gar garbage? I never throw it out outside. I throw it always in the garbage. So the world or the earth is a creation of God. And when you, For example, when you are in an art museum and there's a very expensive painting and you even draw near it or past the boundaries, the sirens start sounding. When we see the nature of God, we need to understand that this is a masterpiece of God. And God has hidden His goodness in His, um, in His nature. And Scripture says that it is through the visible creation can we uh, repent and believe in God. You may not acknowledge all the depths of God, but it's possible to repent by comprehending the creation that he had um, that he had created. Uh, six, the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the church, and seventh, it is poured out in our hearts through the good soil of our heart. Here are seven substances that were offered by Brother Arkady. We have entered into his godliness. Our hearts have. Studying what is the essence of God's love that comes from the goodness of God? We've arrived to the conclusion that the strength of God's love is acknowledged by the level, uh, level of God's hatred towards evil and those who practice evil. Because only by loving that which God loves and hating that which God hates do we express God's reaction to good and His reaction to evil. That's why answering the question, who and what does God love? We've defined that the love of God pouring out of the virtue of God according to its nature. First, loves to have mercy on repenting sinners. It also loves the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. God loves His nation. He loves the righteous. He loves the gates of Zion. He loves righteousness and justice. And He loves a cheerful giver. And we must also love all of these things. By studying who and what does God hate, we arrive to the conclusion that according to Scripture, the love of God that pours out of the virtue of God according to its nature, first, hates those who hate God. Second, it hates those who practice evil works. It hates violence. It hates evil thoughts against their neighbors and false rumors. It hates when the face of the Lord are used to satisfy the flesh. It hates the work of the Nicolaitans, and it hates worship to other idols or other deities. In a certain format, we have already studied that select a love God in the virtue uh, in the virtues, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience. And today we will study godliness. But before we move on to talking about godliness, let's remember and provide short definitions to virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience. We've already talked enough about patience, oh, excuse me, about virtue. We were talking about how virtue comes from the goodness of God. Let us uh, move on to summarizing what the knowledge of God is. If the knowledge of God gives us knowledge of what God views as good and what He views as evil, then the third quality, self-control, gives us the power to choose what God views as good and reject all that God views as evil. As it is written in Isaiah 7.15, Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Isaiah 7.15 Again, let's repeat it. What is knowledge? Knowledge, 
is to have knowledge of what is good and what is evil. And self-control is to have the ability to reject what God calls evil and choose what God calls good. So, virtue, knowledge, self-control. Now, patience. The patience that the selected love of God has must flow in all long-suffering with joy, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The kind of patient that flows from long-suffering with joy is the patience of Christ that according to its state and its characteristics has no analogs toward the earthly state and definition of patience. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 Now may the Lord direct your paths into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So, the patience of Christ flowing in all long-suffering with joy in the selective love of God is founded on the supernatural ability to see our inheritance or our calling on God with the eyes of God and the ability of Christ to await with hope for the fulfillment of what he has heard and seen. And this is possible only under the condition that our heart is found in the state of long-suffering with joy. So usually when we hear patience, uh, with patience, we have certain negative emotions from our childhood. When we were told from our childhood, be patient, don't touch this, don't touch that, be patient. When we hear the word patience, we already always have negative emotions that arise within us. But when we have the patience of Christ, the patience of Christ isn't tied to emotions at all. But here's the essence. We must create an atmosphere for joy because the patience of Christ abides only in the and who which heart there is long-suffering with joy. So, to conduct joy in the heart. And when we have read here, how do we conduct it or build it? It's the ability to see our inheritance and see our calling in God with the eyes of God. Or, to be well-informed about that promise that waits for us in the future. And as soon as we are well-informed and we know that this is my part and this is my portion, and that in this promise... There are very many, very few people, but God has informed us according to His mercy about this promise, and I know this promise, and it is clearly written in our hearts. Then, this brings upon a certain state of patience, and as soon as the state of patience enters the heart that is founded on clear understanding of the promise, we right away have the patience of Christ that helps us now await for this promise. If it is not clearly written on the tablets of our heart, the patience of Christ will never come. The patience of Christ comes only in a reasonable heart that is well informed and understands the promises that she is waiting for, whether it be the coming of Christ, the appearance of Christ, the promise related to the door of our hope, any promise, the promise of healing. A person must be well informed about this promise, and as soon as the patience of Christ arrives, it produces an atmosphere of joy, and it begins to await for this promise to be fulfilled. And so we talked about um, self-control, 
perseverance. Let's talk about the next quality of love, which is in the mystery of its godliness. So the selective love of God has the quality of godliness. We've been talking about this virtue for about a year now. We've been talking about godliness for about a year. Obviously, I'm not going to um, be on it as well for a year. I'm going to go very quickly. But Pastor had stopped to talk about this quality for about a year or so now. Question, why? Let us read. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received in glory. And again, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The teaching about godliness and the selective love of God and is not just... Um, so it is incompatible to non-godliness. In scripture, the principle of godliness is presented as the foundation of the gospel uh, faith teaching. It is tied to the mystery of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 again. Without controversy means that it is a Christian doctrine and you must not fantasize. You don't need to distort it. You need to not go against it, argue it, because it is a man of God who has presented it for us. Thus, we must accept it. And without controversy, we're talking about a Christian doctrine. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified up in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. In this manner, it is the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that is called to identify God's love agape in the heart of a person. In scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue of godliness highlights the correct relationships between saints and God that are tied to one another with a mutual bond or covenant. And therefore, the essence of the selected love of God in godliness is defined and expressed in the mutual obligations in mutual obligations between God and the person who is also in the peace of God. In the five books of the Torah, of the Bible, we see the word godliness 213 times. In the prophets, it's 127 times. In parables, it's very it happens very often. And in the authors of the New Testament, there's a lot of words about godliness. We know that the more places of scripture that talk about a certain word, the more... Um, significance it has with regard to our salvation. We must look at four classic questions. First, with what, with what characteristics does Scripture endow godliness? What purpose is godliness intended to fulfill in the relationship with, between man and God and man with God and God with man? Third, what price must we pay to cooperate our godliness with the godliness of God? And fourth, by which signs should we define that our godliness truly cooperates with the godliness of God? And we've stopped about the fourth question um, on Sunday sermons. But today we're going to start from the very beginning again. Let us be reminded of the first question. What scriptures does scripture endow the godliness of God as well as the godliness of man? And we must note 
that godliness or the goodness of God in his godliness differs from the godliness of a holy person. So he has godliness, you have godliness. But there is a difference between these two. Without us having godliness, we'll never find his godliness because his godliness is his favor, his goodness, and his gratitude. The goodness of God, let's talk about it, and then we'll talk about what our godliness is. So the godliness of God is the good or the goodness of God. Again, we're going to, we're going to differ the godliness of God and the godliness of man. The godliness that God has, where can it be discovered? And when we do find a place where we can find it, how can we define that we are told, okay, you are going to find it at this door? Well, can you at least give me short definitions uh, with who I'm going to meet, the person I'm going to meet that's going to present it to me? Also, there is a certain coordinates that are given. We say, God, who does this person look like who can give me this godliness? There are many people that live there. But what are the coordinates? How does this person look like? The place where godliness is and the definition of this godliness. Again, let's talk about God first. So, the godliness of God is, again, the goodness of God yielded by His good, acceptable, and perfect will that was formed in the depths of the Heavenly Father and... The godliness was deep into the depths of God, and then he had manifested it in his commandments, because his commandments is that which was in his depths. The godliness was in him. He took this godliness, and he had shown us his commandments, so that now this godliness could become my godliness, because I'm very happy that God has godliness in his depths, but I don't understand this. I need to write this godliness here, so that then a holy person could explain it to me, and so that I can find what he is speaking in myself through this godliness. It's very interesting that it was formed in the depths of the Heavenly Father, it was found there, and then God had uh, expressed it in his commandments and his written word. Also, the godliness of God was made into a law. For who? Only for his chosen remnants, whom he had predestined and foreknew so that they could be in the likeness of his son. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew. How does he foreknew? How does he foreknow us? It is through this godliness. Godliness has certain coordinates where it is found in certain definitions. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For example, the godliness of God in the format of his goodness or his good towards his children finds itself in the following definitions. Here are the coordinates. Where does godliness find itself? Where are the coordinates? The graph. The godliness of God finds itself in the selected love of God towards his children. Okay. That means it's not found in tolerant love. No, it isn't. It is found in the selective love of God. Godliness is only in the selective, holy love of God towards His children. It is also found in the thoughts of God with regard to His children, in the legislature of God for His children, in the un... 
earthly word of God demonstrated in his will in the holiness of God in the righteousness of God in the courts of God this is where we can see these coordinates where we find the, go uh, the godliness of God it's found in his mercy faithfulness of God in patience comfort and the reward of God in the retribution of God in the heart of the father the seed of the father in the womb of the mother and in pure chastity these are the coordinates where we can find the godliness of God his goodness and his, his godliness thus the selective love of God demonstrated in the holy love of God has defined how so we found we we read where it is now what does it look like the godliness of God is the goodness of God, the favor of God. It is the eternal love of God shown in the Holy Spirit. It is the atmosphere and state of the heart of the Heavenly Father. When you see this kind of eternity, then according to these coordinates, when you come there, God begins to correct me. A, a man of God comes up to me and begins to correct me. Hold on a second. Where are the coordinates? Godliness. Here it is. Godliness is in the courts of God. Very good. Now, he who corrects me, does he have a right to this? Okay, well, let's look at where this godliness is, or what it, what it actually is. The good intentions of the heart of the Heavenly Father. It is mercy, comfort, and the long-suffering of the Heavenly Father. It is the holiness of the Heavenly Father. The promises of the Heavenly Father given to His children, the inheritance of the Heavenly Father prepared for His children. Why? This is why I'm corrected and I'm instructed, so that I can be an inheritor of the promise. I say, Lord, I thank you for your godliness. Why? Because I know the coordinates where I can find godliness and the definition of it. When I come to these coordinates, now I can differ what godliness is. Now let's talk about not the godliness of God, but our godliness, the godliness of man. And so the godliness of man expressed in love toward God is first and foremost the atmosphere and state of the human heart that meditates upon the law of the Most High that expresses itself in actions and characteristics such as a conscience that is cleansed from dead works. So now we're talking about the coordinates in which, by which God comes and wants to see this godliness in us. This is there where He acknowledges us or foreknows us, predestines us, and those whom He foreknows or predestines will be in the likeness of the Heavenly Father. He says, all right, show me the coordinates by which I can find you, where He can um, foreknow us or predestine us. It is in a conscience that is cleansed from dead works. This is a coordinate. We could rejoice in this. The proclamations of the faith of the heart that finds itself in the actions of righteousness. So we proclaim and we act according to that which we proclaim. These are coordinates where God uh, predestines and foreknows his children. It is trembling before the word of God with a broken spirit. This is also a wonderful coordinate where God foreknows us. Pastor asks, how does, how does he foreknow us? He knows the coordinates. He knows our reaction. Godliness was in his depths. He expressed, he gave it to his his apostles. Apostles speak it. And he comes toward these coordinates trying to look for these saints. We have trembling before the word of God. Yes, check mark. We have that. Now let's verify um, some more of these characteristics. These coordinates are good, 
but we must also have a certain state of our heart. A meek heart expressed in humility before the will of God, the ability to love righteousness and hate lawlessness, it's the ability to have mercy upon uh, those who repent, it's the ability to look upon the orphans, widows, and their afflictions, it's the ability to contain ourselves undefiled from the world. It is the ability to glorify God in our hearts and our souls. It is the ability to thank God for His redemption, the ability to express the goodness of God and toward His Word. It's the ability to wait for the fulfillment of the promise given by God. It is that where God wants to see us. It is there where God wants to see us, where we, when we wait for His promises, where we can demonstrate our godliness before God. It's the ability to look upon the unseen promises. It is the ability to call inexistent as existent, the ability to rule over money, the ability to rejoice in what we have. This is that geogra geographical location, there where God wants us to abide. It is that place where we can demonstrate the atmosphere of godliness. All of these definitions of godliness are an expression of um, man's love toward God, which places this selective love of God in relation to the love of man um, under question, because here human love can't find itself in all of these characteristics or geographical locations. Human love is incapable of this. It doesn't know any of these coordinates or these geographical locations. They find them strange. It is these meanings of godliness that identify the presence of God's love in the heart of a person, and therefore to cooperate our godliness with the godliness of God in order to demonstrate the love of God in our faith is first and foremost to be godly to God, which means... How do we be godly to God? We've come to the geographical location. Now, how must we be in this geographical locations? So this also, this room right here, this is a wonderful geographical location where godliness dwells. Now, who is able to sit in this geographical location at these coordinates? Let's read our characteristics. God had defined his characteristics in godliness. Now, let's define ours. We must be good to God, to be acceptable to God, to uh, be obedient to God, to be truthful in God, to be joyful in God, to be affirmed in God, to trust in God, rely on God, hope in God, glorify God, find refuge in God, and wait for the coming of God. These are characteristics of those people who find themselves in the coordinates where godliness dwells. It is thanks to uh, this multifaceted definition that the Old Testament and the New Testament define the love of God as one of the important disciplines of the mystery of the Father Himself. So godliness is one of the greatest mysteries of God Himself that protects and makes the love of God impossible to, to forge or to falsify. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. According to these definitions that follows, that are in their bond, these components and actions of God, such as uh, God's manifestation in the flesh, the ability of God to justify himself in the spirit, the ability of God to demonstrate himself to his angels, the ability of God to show himself in uh, sermons to the people, and lifting up God in glory, raising up God in glory, is also an expression of God's love in the subject of godliness. These characteristics called to yield the essence of godliness, they're 
exists a forgery that will resist the true manifestation of godliness. So, God was revealed in the flesh, then the forgery of this is God, man's godly, or um, a, a false, falsified godliness will try to mani manifest itself otherwise or differently. So, God had taken up the image of, of a servant, his son. The flesh is a body where the old nature rules and the power of death reigns. This is the flesh. Holy people don't have the flesh. They have a body. A body is where the new man reigns, where the old man had endured destruction and is found in the prison bound. This is called the body. Flesh is where the old nature rules. The body is where the new man rules. That's why God had demonstrated himself in the body. But the uh, falsification of Jesus Christ, people will try to demonstrate Jesus Christ through their flesh saying that the Holy Spirit told me this, the Holy Spirit showed me this, although these are their own thoughts, their own revelations, and this is sometimes even revelations from devil. We also see that God justified himself in the Spirit. These people justify themselves according to the works of the law. God demonstrated himself through his angels, and people also try to demonstrate themselves um, as, as supernatural. He had made himself known among the peoples. These people also try to make themselves uh, well known through sermons. This is a falsification. Why do people try to make themselves famous? So that they can make others look worse than themselves. And when these kind of people are buried, they're always buried up as so-called so in glory. But we don't know what had happened with these kind of people, Scripture says. And they were buried. And the next phrase says, And in hell, being in great turmoil, Lazarus looks to heaven and sees Lazarus in the den of Abraham. What is the den of Abraham? What is den? When I ad when I place a child on my knees and I hug him, and this is what happened with Lazarus. The rich man did not have this because he had godliness, but this godliness was a false falsified. It was a forgery. 2 Timothy 3.5 Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. True godliness in man distinguishes the forgery of godliness. Because true godliness reveres before God and has discipline that is able to fulfill all of God's statutes correctly. If we do not break off our relationship with people who have only an outward appearance of godliness and if we do not depart from them, as Apostle Paul tells us, then they are going to destroy our godliness that is comprised of our good morals because of which we along with them will inherit the perdition that is prepared for them. It was prepared for them, but we're going to share in it with them.
if we uh, do not break off relationships with him. We will turn to certain passages in Scripture in which we will look at the definitions and purposes of godliness in which our godliness must cooperate with the godliness of God in His favor. And so, let us take a look at godliness and the selected love of God, and then we'll take a look at the godliness that a person has. First, we'll provide several places of Scripture about the godliness that God has, and then we'll talk about men. So, God. So, godliness and the selected love of God and the dignity of His goodness is one of the names of God, as well as one of His natural properties that define the essence of God, as well as His will in relation to people who... Uh, thirst for salvation. Luke 8, 19. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. Furthermore, godliness in the selective love of God, or that godliness that God has in the subject of His goodness, comes from the face of God. Psalms 37. Lord, by your favor. So whenever we hear words like goodness, favor, Grace, all of this flows from godliness. For by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. So the goodness of God, the godliness of God, as soon as we lose his face, we come to turmoil. Our spirit comes to turmoil when it loses this godliness in the face of God. Psalms 43.7 or 43.4 For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did, they, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. Psalms 44.3 Psalms 4.6 There are many who say, Who will show us any good, or goodness, or godliness? And furthermore, he proclaims, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. If you want to see godliness, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance, and then we will see godliness. Furthermore, godliness in the selective love of God, or godliness that God has, is presented in a covenant of man with God as, as godliness that resists the false godliness of man. Hosea 6.4 O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like the light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He said, your godliness was supposed to have been expressed in love toward God knowledge of God I begin to slay you with the words of my mouth through my apostles my messengers and I still could not find them there they said Ephraim what shall I do to you your godliness is like a morning dew it's gone your godliness was supposed to be expressed in knowledge and knowledge to acknowledge uh, or the desire to acknowledge God 
Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despires of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Having only those who have such a form from such people turn away. So take a look here. We have listed a long list, and all of this was all of the, this whole list was covered with a form of godliness. Why? Because these kind of people don't have love toward God. They are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. If they don't have love toward God, then all of their blemishes, what do they cover with? With only an outward appearance of godliness. Furthermore, godliness in the selected love of God is a holy manifestation tied to the action of God with relation to those people with whom He uh, makes His covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Again, we're talking about the godliness of God, His goodness that abides in Him. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fresh ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So, the high priest, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. So when we proclaim the word of God, the true word of God, the righteousness and his justice, if we remember that godliness hidden itself in coordinates such as righteousness, courts, justice, then these are coordinates of God. That's why the high priest being good, this is when he became the high priest of our proclamations, when our proclamations um, are compatible to the word of God. Furthermore, godliness and the selective love of God is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit without which a person is cannot demonstrate the selective love of God in his faith. So, again, the godliness of God is in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11, 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of um, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and so forth. All of this is possible through the Holy Spirit because he produces his atmosphere of godliness. In these words, the Spirit of godliness that abided in Christ Jesus and the dignity of the Son of Man, in Hebrew, pointed to the state of the heart that was filled with the fear of the Lord in union with reverence. Psalms 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Again, the spirit of the spirit of godliness, the spirit of good. This is These are all components of the Holy Spirit that can produce in the atmosphere of godliness. When there is no Holy Spirit, then we ourselves make our own form of godliness. If we don't have the Holy Spirit as a Lord and ruler of our life, we don't know how to live in the atmosphere of godliness. God has sent the Holy Spirit. And if we're not interested in Him being the Lord and ruler of our life, we can never have godliness or find the godliness of God. When a person does not have the Holy Spirit, he himself tries to find godliness in his own ways. So furthermore, godliness and the selected love of God is the heart of the Father, the seed of the Father, womb of the Mother, and pure chastity. 
Hebrews chapter 7, ver 7 verses 9 through 10. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So take a look here. Scripture says that Levi received tithes in the face of Ab Abraham. So Levi never met with Melchizedek, but because he had an organized partaking to Abraham, it says that uh, Levi had given tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. So if we have an organized partaking to God, toward Abraham through Jesus Christ, then all of that which Abraham did, we become partakers of these blessings. Furthermore, godliness and the selected love of God is the holiness of God, his lot, his portion, his inheritance, his calling for his chosen remnants. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. For the Again, we're talking about godliness that God has. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Deuteronomy 18.2 Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance as he said to them. So take a look here. Levi, we've read about that he received... Uh, who paid tithes through Abraham, or who offered tithes, rather correctly, offered tithes through Abraham. Um, it's written that Levi shall have no inheritance among their brethren because the Lord is his inheritance. For the Lord to become his inheritance, Levi had to do something on his end. He needed for Urim, the Rim and the Mim of God to be in him. He needed to talk about his father um, and his mother to say that he doesn't look to them and doesn't know his children, his brothers and sisters. He kept the commandments of the Lord, binding himself to the uh, choicest grapevine. All of this was necessary to do on his end so that the Lord can say, Levi, I am your lot. I'm your portion. And this is the godliness of God. He calls himself our portion. Take a look here. He is our portion. He is that place where we find ourselves, as Levi did. And Levi did many things to find his portion in God himself. Furthermore, godliness and the selected love of God are the obligations of God and the time established by God. Isaiah 62.1 For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. What's with this self-confidence? Because the godliness of God is in what God has promised. What He has promised He will do, He will do. We, on our end, must do what? We must write and engrave very clearly that promise in our hearts. Scripture says that although it tarries, wait for it because it shall be fulfilled. It is going to be fulfilled. It's simply necessary to wait for it. Therefore, the godliness of in the godliness of God, God has promised to fulfill His promise. And we, our godliness is expressed in clearly writing these this promise in these words and tablets of our heart, waiting for the holiness of God. Why do we write these words clearly in our heart? Because to have the joy of Christ is possible when the revelation is clearly written in our hearts. When it's clearly written in our hearts, when this revelation is clearly written, we have the joy of God. As soon as we have the joy of God, we have the patience of God, we have the patience of God, we wait for any kind of promise despite the fact that everything around us is crumbling. We are in God's complete rest. Any promise related to the door of our hope, any promise related to healing, it must be waited for. It must be awaited for in in patience. 
because in patience there is joy. Godliness in the selective love of God talks about our the, about the underhand gift of grace. So godliness is, again, the grace of God. Romans 3, 24-26, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Furthermore, godliness and the selective love of God is acknowledging person as guiltless or undeserving of punishment. This is what the godliness of God does. God loves to have mercy upon people, and through this, He demonstrates His godliness. It's through His mercy. And they are found in the same coordinate. His mercy is found in his godliness. Second Corinthians chapter five verse nineteen. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Isaiah fifty three, five through six. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The, ch- the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God's godliness is to acknowledge a person as, uh, as, as guiltless. Furthermore, godliness and the selective love of God is the mercy of God, His mercy, His compassion, His sympathy, and Him stooping down to those who, uh, who repent. When we come out here to the altar and we repent, these are coordinates where godliness is found, where godliness meets with our God. God's godliness meets with our godliness. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Take a look. Words like uh, riches, grace, just justification. We're talking about godliness. All of these components are found in the according to the coordinates of God's godliness. It's His godliness. He is worthy of all of this. But we also must have done something on our end. Just simply repent. Confess our sins. And how many components we are given godliness, mercy, grace, justification. Furthermore, godliness and the selective love of God is demonstrated in man in the commandments of God. Daniel 3.30, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon, and we had followed your, they have followed his commandments. So, when we are disobedient to God, we lose, when we are disobedient to the commandments of God, we lose his godliness. Furthermore, the godliness of God and the selected love of God is demonstrated in people who represent the fatherhood of God. God demonstrates His godliness through His messengers who are clothed in uh, the status of fathers. Titus chapter 1, verses 1-3 through Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. All of this 
speaks about godliness. The sermon that he had talked about, how it was given to him according to the acknowledgement of the truth of which accords with godliness. Because godliness has direct relation to the sermon of the person who preaches the word of God. Why? Because it is presented in the seed. And as soon as it presents itself in the seed, momentarily God represents himself or presents himself in the seed because his truth, first of all, was in his depths. And that's why it's very dangerous to listen to any kind of preacher out there because it's not in every single word of these people that there is the godliness of God. Furthermore, godliness and the selective love of God is shown in the little flock that represents God's chosen remnants. This is where God has hidden himself, his coordinates, in the little flock. Luke 12.32 Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So, this word, God, um, was not well pleased, or God's good pleasure... When he is pleased, when he is not pleased, um, he finds pleasure when we demonstrate our godliness. Scripture talks about the little flock, that he, um, it is the Father's good pleasure to give them the kingdom, because this little flock allowed their godliness to to become in union with the godliness of God. Furthermore, the godliness and the selective love of God is shown in the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, God has acknowledged us in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world, so that we can be holy before Him in love. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So how many things are together in one in Christ Jesus? Grace, mercy, goodness, all of this is found and is combined in Jesus Christ where he acknowledges those who are his. Furthermore, Godliness and the selective love of God shown in is shown in the reverence of God presented in Christ Jesus. So, God demonstrates himself also through his favor and reverence. Matthew 3, 16-17 When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So in that case, and in this case, Jesus Christ had found the exact coordinates where the goodness of God had met 
with the goodness of man. And as soon as the goodness of, or the godliness of God met with the godliness of Jesus Christ, he began to shine. It enlightened him. And the disciples began to see, say weird things around him. Their horror, their astonishment, their surprise was inspired by the fear of man. They, they were filled with the fear of man. Jesus had simply demonstrated godliness that was expressed in the fact that he had acknowledged John the Baptist and came to be baptized by him. John said, you are being baptized by me. I was supposed to be baptized by you. He said, no, we need to fulfill every righteousness, every truth of godliness. Everything must be done correctly. And as soon as he did do things correctly, John the Baptist, or this correction, or this correct action was, and John the Baptist, John the Baptist baptizing him. This is the voice of God that spoke. It's when the godliness of Christ met with the godliness of the Father. Furthermore, godliness and the love of God is demonstrated in Christ's yoke and in Christ's burden. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 to 30 Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, this is this goodness. It's the yoke and the burden. Who can it be easy and the burden be light for a godly person or a person does not have godliness but tries to demonstrate an appearance of godliness whatever you may do for him he is going to groan moan he's going to be uh, constantly unsatisfied because all of this will be a burden to him it will be a heavy burden but here it says interesting as pastor had said he says I want all of those who are found under my shadow to understand that or found on the shadow of Christ, they, uh, in Him, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Godliness and selective love of God is demonstrated in the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 39, Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children after them. So this is the godliness of God. Now let's look at our godliness, the godliness of man, in which a person is called to demonstrate his love toward God so that he can cooperate with the godliness of God in his goodness toward man. Here are a few components, a page and a half of them. And so, the godliness of man in which a person is called to demonstrate or express his love toward God to cooperate with the godliness of God is presented in the need to praise God. Psalms 92, verses 2 through 6. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands, O Lord. How great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. Scripture says that when a person prays like this, then this is um, this is singing praises to God. This is how a person demonstrates godliness when he correctly praises God. So again, through our prayers, we can also we can praise God if our prayer corresponds to our life and our actions. Furthermore, the godliness of men in which a person is called to demonstrate his love to God to cooperate with the godliness of God is presented in the need to look upon the orphans and the widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unspotted from the world.
James chapter 1 verse 27 pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this or pure and undefiled godliness before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world and we've heard in, s in sermons that to look upon the widows and orphans we must ourselves be orphans widows and foreigners and as soon as God gave the people of Israel the command act toward the orphan the widow foreigner correctly because he wanted for Israel to have this kind of state in their heart as well. He demonstrated this is a very important component. A person who is godly, who has godliness, is a person who has the state of a orphan, widow, and foreigner. Furthermore, the godliness of person in which a person is called to demonstrate his love to God, to cooperate with the goodness of God, is presented in the ability to bridle our tongue. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is godly and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's godliness is useless. So when a person does not have meek lips, he does not have godliness. And if he does not have godliness and he doesn't have it because he doesn't have bridled lips, then he has an outward appearance of godliness. And an outward appearance of godliness is very dangerous because we begin to outwardly resist the will of God and this is very dangerous therefore meek lips will not allow us to cover our blemishes whereas the godliness of God allows us to be rid to be rid of all those things that defile us example one of those important things are idle words idle words that do not correspond to scripture they're empty words they're those words that we speak but aren't what's contained in our heart. We must proclaim only that which is found in our heart. So we must pray correctly. So we were uh, we asked Pastor a question, how do we call the inexistent as existent? How do we thank God when it's painful, when your, your, your pain hurts? And Pastor Akadi, how do we pray? Lord, I thank you, my head does not hurt. He said, well, how do we pray to God correctly? How do I call the inexistent as existent correctly? He said, he had said interesting how he prays. It's very beautifully. Uh, after about 10 minutes of hearing this, I tried to make a note for myself. This was the phrase the pastor said, how do we thank God? How do we receive the promise? I need to remember, I'm having a hard time remembering it fully. It begins from gratitude, then it's necessary to speak it to ourselves. So this was approximately what he said. Again, that which I've written, I've written only a few words because we were in a gathering place and there was a lot of conversations going on, so I didn't get it right, right away. Write it down right away. First we say, I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the promise that has been placed on my account in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the promise that is placed on my account in Christ Jesus. That's it. We have thanked God. Very good. This is found in the bank of Jesus Christ. And we have a relation to this. Second very important component. Let, it, let your mercy be demonstrated in the fulfillment of your promise for me. Please write this down. Why are you looking at it in me? Write this in your notebooks. Why are you looking at me? It's very important to write this down. 
first, I say, I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the healing that is found on my account in Christ Jesus. And second, very important, let your mercy be revealed to me. Let your mercy be revealed to me in the fulfillment of this pro of this promise of healing. So I have thanked him, and I have called him so that according to his mercy, this promise be taken from my account. I don't remember the exact phrases, but this is approximately what Pastor had said. I thank God for his promise, and then. I proclaim, let his mercy be demonstrated to me in the fulfillment of his promise that has been for 2,000 years on my account. And the last, the godliness of men in which a person is called to demonstrate his love toward God so that he can cooperate with the goodness of God is in every place to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting when we pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2 I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing but which is proper for women possessing professing godliness with good works this is so everyone adorns themselves not just women again we're looking at this at males and females who might look at this and say Lord you don't want us to adorn ourselves well no we can adorn ourselves but it must correspond to our inner godliness. Um, we look at the bride of the Lamb, Jerusalem. She's wearing a pearl, a, a gold, precious stones. There is no silver there. And he adorned her bride with this. We can adorn ourselves if a person has these adorations in his heart or these, or these adornments. He can just classically... Um, not costly clothing, buying them for thousands of dollars, but in good clothing. Jesus Christ was adorned in good clothing. Not costly clothing, but in good clothing. And all of it corresponded to his inner state. That's why God is not against adornments, uh, neither for men or women, um, as long as it corresponds to the godliness in our heart. May be blessed in your prayers, and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so you have allowed your inheritance to be lifted up to unsearchable heights for us, unreachable heights for us. Let again in this place all the works of devil be cursed, illnesses, poverty, premature death, all forms of fears, demonic dependencies, all of this let it be cursed and may it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, in a place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, may they rejoice before your holy name your holy countenance. Give us more from the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy face. We thank you that our service is presented in your godly arms. We ask you to continue to lead it with your uplifted hand. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to teach us from this holy place, and we thank you for that teaching about godliness, that you have said that we can accept these words, these words about the teaching of godliness. We thank you that the teaching about godliness lays at the foundation of your teachings. We thank you that this godliness, your goodness, your godliness, your grace, it was found in your depths. And you have demonstrated them to us in your face.
But before you demonstrate your godliness and your grace and your countenance, you had taken your relations, your godliness, from your depths and had expressed it in your law. And the law of God became became obtainable to us thanks to our proclamations. Now, when we come and when we meet you in the coordinates of godliness, then you demonstrate your godliness that was found in your depths. Now you demonstrate it to us in your countenance when we come before you in prayer. We thank you that all that was found in your depths, today you demonstrate to us in the light of your countenance. And when you, when you hide your face from us, we, Lord, are, are sorrowful. We ask you to, to shine with the light of your countenance because in this light from which the rays of godliness come, you have hidden your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace that leads us. The Spirit let us lead it into the land of uprightness. We thank you for Jesus Christ of whom you have said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we thank you that you have placed us and placed Christ, the head of the church. We thank you, Lord, for your godliness that you have hidden in your good word the good word of your messengers and the gospel word that speaks of godliness we thank you for those revelations for those truths for all of those truths that we hear from this place from this pulpit and that speak of your godliness we thank you Lord that you have hidden your godliness in your Zion. You have spoken of your little flock that you have demonstrated to her your godliness in your chosen remnants because you had promised to give them the kingdom. We thank you that you have allowed us to find not just you in your godliness but to find ourselves according to your word in your godliness we ask you Lord uh, to allow us to praise you allow us to use the words of prayer in which we will not just speak of our privileges and about the obligations of other people in relation to ourselves allow us to not use the words of the sermon that are going to only talk about our privileges and obligations of other with regard to us. Allow us to fulfill our obligations among the people of God. Allow us to remember that we preach that allow us to remember that we uh, praise you. Allow us to love your inheritance, to practice your works and to carry your yoke and your burden as easy as it is easy and light. Allow us to be found in your shadow and to do your work with joy. We thank you, Lord, that we do all of this with great joy. Unblemished joy. Because we are found in your divine order. Our essence, our spirit, soul, and body are found in your divine order. And you, Lord, are able to demonstrate your godliness toward your inheritance. We thank you that today you again and again have allowed us to remember the coordinates where you where your godliness means our meets our godliness. We thank you 
that we find you not just in your grace, but we find you in righteousness, in justice. We find you in correction. Because he whom you love and whom you want to demonstrate your godliness, you will correct. Therefore, allow us react correctly toward correction or toward punishment. Allow us react with great privilege because through this you f foreknow your saints. And if you have foreknown us, when you meet us at that place where you find your go where your godliness is found, allow us to be in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. You have promised in your word that you have foreknown and predestined those to be like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and whom you have demonstrated your godliness. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and the ruler of our life, who allows us to demonstrate true godliness and allow us to never demonstrate an outward appearance of godliness, hiding our blemishes. Allow us to grasp onto the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life and never allow ourselves to carry a form of godliness. I thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to walk before your light. I thank you for the selective and holy love of God that uncovers any kind of falsification. And we ask you to uncover falsification, uncover the mysteries that we do not know of yet but are found in us. So that our flesh could not manipulate us or manifest itself in any way. So that the flesh could not manifest itself allow us, Lord, to be natural before you with open hearts to accept that word that is going to be able to correct us, edify us, and transform us, and prepare us to meet with you. We thank you, Lord, for our leaders and Pastor Akadi and Sister Tamara. You have blessed us with them. We have accept them, accepted them as your blessing. And so let us serve for them as a blessing as well, and serve them with that blessing that you have already blessed us with in Christ Jesus. To serve them with those gifts and talents, with that's with all those gifts they have given us in Christ Jesus. Allow us to serve one another. Allow us, Lord, to stoop down to one another. Allow us to love one another. Allow us not to boast in front of one another. Allow us to be satisfied. Allow us to be satisfied in the privilege and ability to be servants so we can be satisfied with this in heaven as well. We thank you for the great privilege to be your disciples, to be your servants here on earth. And we ask you that this essence and this quality to be brought by us also into heaven, these precious truths and your godly truth. We ask you to fulfill your lamp our pastor with spirit of counsel and understanding, might and wisdom, so that that word that we hear could allow us to meet with you.
and to see the light of your countenance. We ask you, Lord, to demonstrate your godliness and your goodness in the light of your countenance and allow us, according to the gospel word, to prepare ourselves to meet with you. We thank you, Lord, for those promises that we have and that today in our hearts we have the atmosphere of joy because we have clearly written and we have engraved, engraved clearly on the tablets of our heart that promise of which you said, wait for it. It shall be fulfilled. Although it tarries, you just want to be satisfied and pleasured by the atmosphere of joy in which the patience of Christ dwells. Lord, if this brings you great joy, this also brings us great joy. We are ready to be with you in the patience of Christ and the joy of the Lord as long as you want us to be in the state. Joy does not burden us, and the patience of Christ does not burden us. We find great satisfaction in awaiting for the fulfillment of those promises that are clearly engraved on the tablets of our heart. We ask you, Lord, to fulfill that word that you have, promi that word that you have promised to your people. We thank you, Lord that in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago you have placed on our accounts healing you have placed healing on our accounts and now we ask you Lord may your mercy be demonstrated in the fulfillment of this promise for each saint may this mercy be, de be demonstrated or manifested to me be glorified in the fulfillment of your unchanging word that is found and is hidden in Jesus Christ and that is taken off or that is taken from the accounts by saints we thank you Lord for that word that we hear on Fridays and Sundays we ask you to fill your lamp with your revelation and we Lord with desire and with trembling are going to wait for the holy word about godliness let your holy name be magnified and glorified in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit Amen Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Закончим наше неизменное манифестацией. Могущий может соблюсти нас от падения и поставить пред славою своей. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.